Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Everybody talks about looking forward. Today we're going to talk about working backwards and how really it's a practice that can be applied to achieving all sorts of goals. And with us is Rebecca Costa. And I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. She's an American sociobiologist and futurist. I love this sort of subject. She's known as the preeminent global expert on the subject of fast adaptation and has worked for all the big companies, venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. She's got a great book called The Watchman's Rattle, A Radical New Theory of Collapse. It's an international bestseller. According to you, uh, things like climate change, which we talk about, tariff wars, terrorism, all these sort of things remain unsolved. And the reason they remain unsolved is because they're similar. How do you mean that? You know, we tend to treat these crises like COVID or the subprime mortgage collapse and other kinds of uh, crises, we, we tend to treat them uh, as though they're very unique, you know, and, uh, and, and even though we understand to some extent that historically they're not unique, um, what we don't understand is even in current times, they share similarities, these crises and how we respond to them uh, share certain similar characteristics. And so, from a sociobiological standpoint um, uh, and an analytic standpoint, we can see that there's a, a pattern to the crises, and there's a pattern to how humans respond. Is this so, sort of uh, like the old, uh, you know, Star Trek thing where Mister Spock used to say, like, you know, that's not logical? Is that what happens to us? Our emotions get in the way sometimes. Well, Ed, Edward Wilson, the great naturalist out of Harvard University, uh, I thought he put it more succinctly than I've ever heard anyone else put it. He said, uh, we have paleolithic emotions, uh, we have uh, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And that is our current situation. When you mix up the cocktail of prehistoric emotions, with medieval institutions and godlike technology, you wind up with kind of a crazy scenario where uh, we're not always logical and we don't, and even though we're blessed with uh, a third of our brain being the frontal cortex that is able to do scenarios and plan ahead and see what the consequences of our actions will be, we don't always abide by that. And you used climate change as an example. Uh, we have, you know, computers and predictive analytic models and all of that, but we still hang on to um, our beliefs. And, and many people do not believe climate change is occurring. And, and even if they do believe it's occurring, they may not believe that human activity has, had, ha- has a hand in it. Now, those are two different things. They may, those cells may touch in our brains, but they're two different things. There are people that don't believe it's happening, and then there are those that believe it is happening, but humans don't have any control over it, can't do anything about it. 
Uh, and then there are those that believe it's happening and humans have had direct involvement and are causing it, causing it to worsen or are even the source of climate change. So you've got different belief systems going on in there, and they're practically at a religious level when you think about it. You know, people get very passionate. I mean, you bring up these subjects, you know, politics, climate change, uh, you know, the federal deficit. You bring any of these things up and you're sure to have an argument at your dinner table. No question. But, you know, I, I think of the environmental scientist Bjorn Lomborg, who kind of says the same thing. He goes, people get into the, the emotion takes over instead of, OK, you got to look at these problems of what they are, what you can do about it, and then what makes the most sense. Because sometimes you can't completely solve something, but you can't completely ignore it either. Is that kind of what you're talking about, where you kind of have to take some of this emotion out of it to really be able to uh, analyze it uh, honestly? Well, that's easier said than done, and particularly at this particular time frame, uh, we have computers and computer models. When you think about it, you know, computers don't have emotions. We can't even inject emotions uh, into them. Uh, computers will look at the data, the data only, and then, you know, uh, tell us what the data reflects. And then humans still have to make a decision about whether to act on that data or whether to believe the data. Uh, and, and so that's where things sort of begin to break down. But you must remember, we will never be robots. We're biological in nature. And, and you know, we've come a long way in millions and millions of years of human evolution. But we, to, to pretend that those prehistoric emotions uh, that we inherited through our DNA uh, as a survival mechanism don't exist is just to deny reality, you know, um, yeah. many times, can I give you an, let me give you a, a funny example, right? I, I was talking to a CEO of a global corporation, uh, very, very uh, smart and talented individual. I um, consult with a number of, of global uh, concerns. And he said, you know, I, it's always a joy to talk to you, Rebecca, but I'm not really driven by emotions at all. You know, facts are facts. And I make all my decisions based on facts. And I, and I was sitting and I was thinking about how to really make him connect with emotions. And I, and I asked him, you know, do you ever do any grocery shopping? And he, he laughed and he said, yeah, actually, my wife and I, we take turns shop, uh, doing our grocery shopping because it can get pretty boring. And I said, well, I'm going to do you a really big favor. I know you like to save time. And I don't want you wasting your time going up and down all the aisles of the grocery store getting your groceries anymore. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, when ne the next time you go to the grocery store, I want you to grab a cart and go straight to the checkout line where people are waiting to pay for their groceries. And I want you to shop out of the carts because they, they have everything you want, cereal, milk, eggs. Everything you're going to buy is already in their carts. And he said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, why not? They haven't paid for it. It doesn't belong to them take the stuff out of their carts. And, and I said, what do you suppose would happen? He said, I'd probably get punched in the face. And, and he said, they'd call the manager. And I said, what's the manager going to do? They haven't paid for it. They don't own the cart. They don't own the food in the cart. Said you could shop out of anybody's cart. So, so just do that. It'll save you a lot of time. And, and, and he said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, why do you suppose it would, it would create such a, a, a disturbance to the point where people would violently potentially attack you for removing things from a cart and and removing things that don't belong to them. I said, that's not logical. And he said, yep, yep, I understand what you're saying. And I said, the reason is because that cart 
is our territory, and we are designed by nature to defend our territory. Sometimes that's our cubicle at work. Sometimes it's our job, right? Sometimes it's someone coming too close to our house, coming into our yard, right? You, you, you go, what are you doing in my yard? Maybe they're not doing anything. Maybe they're just standing there. Yeah. But you don't want them on your lawn. You know, that's your territory. And why is that? It's because nature has designed us so that we, you know, in the, in the wild, we, we, we specked out a territory that had everything that our troop, our group needed to survive, water, food, shelter. And so we needed to defend that territory in order to assure that our genes would continue to be perpetuated. And so in modern times, we still are very territorial, very, very, very conscious of territory, but it's now spun up into different kinds of territory, which are maybe your job, your cubicle, your lawn, your grocery cart with food that doesn't belong to you. That's hilarious. I love that. Now, let me ask you about computer models, because... Okay, we talk about we, we a lot of people don't want to uh, believe those things as computer models, but computer models can be wrong. So how do you or sometimes things change, there could be something that you know, you, you're basing it on past performance and something different happens. So how do you how do you deal with that part if something different happens for whatever reason that we don't even know? Well, look, uh we don't have any choice but to rely on computer models because certainly computer models can look at billions and billions and billions of data points and are far more accurate than the human brain. You know, the, the human brain, I mean, we, we've broken down the human DNA and, and, and genome, and, and we only have a, maybe a 3% difference in our genetic makeup from a bonobo monkey today. <laughs> And, and I would argue, and I think anybody listening to your program would agree with me, that we've leveraged the heck out of that. I mean, 3% is not a lot of difference and, and, you know, in, in our biological resources that we have. And, and we've really pushed the limits of that. And so this idea that we're going to be able to uh, assess, collect, remember, and look for patterns of billions and billions and billions of data points you know, that train has left the station. We can't do it anymore. And, and, and increasingly, even though it's subtle, we are trusting more and more the machine world. And that's not a bad thing, by the way, because the machine world does not have emotion associated with it. As an example, you know, I just went out the other day and my neighbor said, hey, you know, you should, you should put a jacket on. It's going to get windy at, at the ocean. And, and I walked in, and what did I do? I said, Alexa, what's the forecast for the beach, right? My, my neighbor just told me it was going to be windy, but, I, but Alexa said, oh, winds, you know, winds of 30 miles an hour at 6 p.m. She gave me the exact time it was going to get windy. Well, this was like 2 in the afternoon, and I went, oh, I don't need a jacket. And I went out, and sure enough, there wasn't any wind until later it picked up. You know, he was he was partially right. It was going to get windy, but Alexa was more right. It wasn't going to get windy till 6 p.m. So who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your neighbor who says, you know, it might rain, or are you going to go in and you're going to ask your smart speaker? You know, increasingly we rely on watches. We rely on our cell phones for navigation. You get in the car. This always cracks me up. And somebody goes, well, I know a faster way to get there. <laughs> and your nav system is telling you something different than your passenger. What do you do? 
Nav you gonna system. Are you going to listen to your passengers <laughs> or are you going to listen to your nav system? Is there a possibility that we depend on these machines and computers so much that if for some reason, you know, there's an electrical, uh, electrical stop and you, know, and you don't have that, that we don't know how to think properly anymore? Or is that just crazy? No, I, 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 don't, I don't spend my time worrying about those kinds of things. I mean, <laughs> I, I think there are much more likely scenarios that we abuse machines then we have some electromagnetic field that knocks everything out and we can't count change at the grocery store anymore. I mean, I, I don't, I just, yeah, that, that's not likely to happen. The human brain is continuing to evolve. It's just that we're evolving a dependence on machines to analyze billions and billions of points of data. And we have to understand that there's great benefits to that. We're becoming, you know, we just launched the GOES satellites last year. Uh, into outer space, and I'm enough of a nerd that I threw a party for that. You know, <laughs> other people throw gender reveal parties. I throw, hey, we're launching a new satellite. It's going to give us three <laughs> times the weather resolution. You know, come on over. We'll watch it. We'll watch the launch together. the The fact is that three times the the higher weather resolution, you can't imagine the impact that has on the accuracy at which we can forecast now the tra- the tracking of dangerous storms tornadoes, flooding, and we can get people out faster. You know, I, I live on the, the coast of, of Oregon, and, you know, it used to be they said, look, if a tsunami hits, you know, if the uh, Cascadia uh, earthquake occurs and the shift occurs, you know, you're not going to have any time. Everybody on the Oregon coast dies. And then when I formally moved here, I had a second home, and when I formally moved here, they said, we can give you five minutes' notice. Well, five minutes isn't really a lot to get out. You know, I'm not going to – I probably would die. But every year it's gotten a little bit better. Yeah. Now it's up to seven minutes. Now it's getting – now, you know, it's, it's getting close to ten minutes. That might give you a run for your money. Every year we get better and better at being able to forewarn people, and we get better and better at seeing what the future consequence of something might be and how to evacuate people, how to get people out. So we have to understand that that we're that there's a sea change occurring, and that sea change is we're becoming much more accurate predictors, not perfect predictors, right? I understand yeah. what you're saying. We're not perfect, uh, and machines aren't perfect, and they aren't going to get it right. They can only do they they can only predict based on the data that it has. But as the the amount of data we generate. You know, we're generating literally every few months as much data as we generated from the dawn of humankind to present time. Yeah, and and, and also puts a little responsibility on us, too, because like you say, if we can get to a point where we have a half-hour warning or an hour warning, what have you, then we've got to, as a society, figure out, okay, we we have to figure a way where everybody can get out of here because if everybody gets on the freeways at the same time, they all stop each other, uh, that's a problem, too. So we kind of have a responsibility as we get better with this to how we're going to deal with it as a society. Well, you hit the hammer, you hit the nail on the, on the head, because this sea change does not come without a tremendous responsibility and a major change in social policy, particularly our judicial system and our law enforcement system. And I'm going to give you a specific example in Las Vegas. So everyone remembers Stephen Paddock, the Las Vegas shooter, right, who shot into a, a sure. crowd of concert goers. Right? It was a great tragedy. But every time we have a mass shooting, 
you'll notice that the news media, right, and the FBI and, the, and, and all of the, the law enforcement groups start working backwards. Where was he before the shooting started? What were his activities? And in Stephen Paddock's particular case, I, I became fascinated, fascinated by it and started working backwards and saying, what signs did we have? that he was reaching criticality. And it turns out there were 80 data points that indicated that he was in the 99 percentile of committing a mass violent act. And they were things like, you know, six months before, uh, somebody had put him on diazepam. And diazepam is not a prescription you should ever give anybody who has a family history of violent sociopaths. And his father right, was a violent sociopath. So he had put, been put on a prescription medication that would have indicated that he sent his lifelong partner away to the Philippines, gave her $50,000 and told her not to come back. He started buying tracer rounds. He, he moved 26 times before this event. All these things, you know, 80 points that I can point to said this man was moving to, towards some critical event. But let's say, you know, that the, that law enforcement, who respects me, because I'm a, I'm a data a- analytics gal. Let's say I took all those, eight, eight, uh, those, those points. Let's say I didn't invade his privacy. These were all public records, mm-hmm. and I accessed them, and I went to law enforcement, and I said, this guy is absolutely in the 99 percentile of committing a dangerous act. We don't live in that world because we live in the world where Stephen Paddock could have gone into that hotel room, cracked that window, pointed the gun at the concert goers and say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And then packed up his guns and gone home. We live in a world where you could change your mind up to the last minute. We don't have a judicial system that can act on the predictive data that we have. Rebecca Costa, fascinating stuff. We got to have you on again. This is incredible. Uh, if people want to read more about what you're doing and so forth, where can they go? They can go to my website, which is RebeccaCosta.com, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-C-O-S-T-A.com. And there are two books that they should grab. We, we try to, you know, we don't make any profit on the books, but we want people to have this information. And that's the Watchman's Rattle and On the Verge, both are available on Amazon, but we hope that you'll order them off our website because you'll get them a lot quicker and a lot cheaper. Once you get them to, you won't be able to put them down. This is fascinating stuff. Rebecca, let's have you on again. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. That's 800-296-1337.
Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.